Let us pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you for the honor and privilege that you give us to gather together in the name of your Son. We pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to his presence. Dear Lord, create room in us for that, you, that for which you desire to give. And so we do say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I want you to know that I stand before you this morning in the light of the readings with only one eye, only one hand, but still glad to be here. Just a very, very quick illustration. Friday morning, I flew into Louisville and um, got off the plane. It was quiet in the airport that morning, not very many people. So I easily made my way downstairs to go to the rental car stand to pick up a car. There was a man in front of me. There was no one else in line but him. And I'm sort of weighing out, well, I know the luggage isn't going to be here for a little while. Do I get in line and then get my keys and then go get my luggage? Or do I get my luggage first? Well, the guy behind the counter is like taking 20 minutes. And I'm going, how long does it take to give him a credit card and a driver's license and sign the papers? And then all of a sudden, it looks like maybe he's finishing. And just then, bang, here comes the luggage. Bah, bah. I turn around. Thankfully, my bag was pretty close to the front, which like almost never happens. And just as I'm turning to make my way back to the rental car place, you know, which is like 20 yards away, just as I'm beginning to get up to the line, somebody else gets in. And the guy took, takes another 20 minutes with him. And so here I am waiting. And I'm, it, you know, when you don't like the situation you're in, what happens at least to me is that there's a lot of self-talk. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. You've got plenty of time before you need to be anywhere. Um, you, don't, you don't have to get all wound up about this. Of course, it doesn't help. I still do. And... <laughs> And yet, the last thing I want to do is be irritated with the guy who's behind the counter because, I mean, he's the one who's going to determine what car I get. Um, and besides, I don't want to appear an impatient person. Like I said, a lot of good that all did. But I finally got to the counter, got, to my, got my car, made my way around, actually met Bishop White for lunch on Friday, and my day got started. The next day, Saturday morning, I'm in the hotel room, and it's my practice to get up really early before anybody else is awake in the house and to go through the scripture lessons for the day, morning prayer. And I get to the first lines of morning prayer, which is an invitation to confess your sins, as is appropriate. And I think, you know, I have some time. I can actually do a little what's going on in my life and where do I need to ask God's forgiveness rather than what can be the occasion, either frankly alone or true, for, of course, for many of us in church. We kind of rattle off the liturgy, but we never actually let it seep down in a way that sort of gets into our souls. And so 
I got still. <laughs> and immediately what came to mind was all of that inner turmoil as I'm waiting to get my rental car. And I'm confessing to God my own impatience. Um, the, there's a line in the litany in the prayer book that talks about our pride, impatience, and the hypocrisy of our lives. And our response liturgically is, good Lord, deliver us. And that's exactly where I was. And the wonder of it is, is that the more I was able to be as transparent before God as I know how, um, and I have to tell you that that's an ongoing story. It's a fallacy for sort of the philosopher to look at you and say, know thyself, because I don't have the capacity to literally step out of myself and view myself as an object. Everything that I know about me is in my interpretation and my experience of my own self. And believe me, what I might say about myself could be very different from what, from what my wife or my children says about me, right? Not your head. That's kind of what the soup we live in. But I, I do my best, and to the wonder of my own soul, the more transparent and uncomfortably so that I was able to be in the presence of God, the more the peace came the more the sense of God's loveliness and his mercy and his kindness came. And my little hotel room just really became in that point a sanctuary. Because, and this really is, sermons should always have some big idea. My big idea for this morning is the basis of all of our life is the mercy of God. The basis of all our life, our accomplishments, our strengths and weaknesses, the things for which we give thanks, the things that we wish weren't there, the things that we try to act like, that's mm, not really my problem when it really is, and the kind of acting we do to try to keep ourselves under control, like in the very situation that I was describing myself. And it can get bad. Have you, one of my, uh, two-year-old grandson's favorite toy is a jack-in-the-box. Boom, out pops. And he, he, he does this, and, he's, and you can see he's, he begins to get ready because he knows it's, it's going to scare him a little bit, but it's fun anyway. And eventually, you know, it pops up, and, and then he laughs. Well, actually, you know, sin struggles can be just like that, only we don't, we're not laughing as we try to manage, as it were, our places of weakness. Sometimes our experience of that management actually feels like we're trying to push something down. And inevitably, because of all of the energy that requires, number one, it's exhausting. You can't be present to other people when all of your life is oriented around trying to keep the things down here. And eventually it fails anyway. It, it, it's almost like you're pushing down a volcano. And more often than not, what happens is that the pressure happens and boom, it bursts. And your only hope is, I just hope something like that happens when nobody else is noticing. All of that is, in fact, what it means to be human. It's not stuff that we particularly get over. And that's why it seems to me the collect for this morning is actually the most important thing about which we should be spending our time. 
This is Reformation Anglicanism at its best. O oh God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers and, keyline, because in our weakness we can do nothing good. Do you hear how all-encompassing that is? Without you, give us the help of your grace. <laughs> That's kind of my go-to, literally at every single moment. Yes, I know that I'm forgiven. I know the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I also know that I can be my own worst enemy. And so what winds up happening, even for me this morning, is I'm listening to the Deuteronomy lesson, the Psalm, the Gospel, all of it. I just feel like, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, you need to hear, in some ways, the blistering power of what is being communicated. And it really is all summed up in the first verse of Psalm 119. Happy are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Well, who is that? Are you there? In other words, the point of this is that it is in fact, the rigorousness of these lessons is in fact meant to point to us the idea the thought, the reality that we can't make it. We cannot do all that is in fact asked of us. Otherwise, what we're left, if we don't face that in a re very real clear way, is that Christianity or any faith tradition becomes the effort to try harder. And it's exhausting. I mean, a part of the, the gateway drug for so much of our culture is this quest for self-perfection, self-control, mastery of knowledge, knowing about the latest and greatest technology, the capacity to continue to work on ourselves, to, to think and learn more, to be better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's competitive. It's not just somehow you're doing that, but so is everybody else. And so you're watching what other people is do, are doing, and you're continually in that cycle of comparing your performance capacity with everybody else, and you may win or lose given the day, or perhaps even the moment. Who, who actually wants to live that way? Or can we not be a people as Christians who understand that life really is the mercy of God and that's what allows it to make sense? To look at that kind of inner marathon that has no end, the audience that is always around examining us and watching us as to what it is that we will do, and our own inner voice, which is the worst slave driver of all, to continue to perfect and move forward. You know, one of the worst things my parents ever said to me as a five-year-old, I went to a private um, school and I was tested to see where I would be placed in the midst of this school and God helped me I did well and I say that because that became the cudgel that was used over me again and again and again literally all through school so it didn't matter I might have made all these sort of great grades if one of those turned out to be less than the best they would say something to the effect of you know, you can do better than that. And they meant it. They actually thought they were being encouraging. I mean, I have to give them the benefit of the doubt. But how I read that was, 
here again, you know, I'm just not good enough. And that's the kind of inner condemnation which drives people to addictions, to a life based on performance and fear, the demand to get ahead and to do well. And believe me, you can accomplish a lot under that kind of slavery. And that's a part of what makes it so addictive. You know how to get results, both for yourself and for other people. But in the end, what you're losing is your soul. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Think about the kind of people who do that, who gain the whole world but forfeit their souls. So we come to say in a very clear way, the game is up. We do not, in fact, have to live that way. Despite everything that we may have heard from our teachers, our parents, and all of the well-meaning adults in our lives who wanted us to succeed and do better. It's a terrible burden, but there is a way to get out from under it. And the way to get out from under it really is the mercies of God. And to know more than anything that what actually makes sense in life is Jesus and Jesus on the cross and the thief beside him who qualifies for nothing from the Son of God says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns around and looks to this criminal male factor condemned to capital punishment. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You will. And if that's good enough for the thief on the cross in the eyes of Jesus, then thanks be to God, that's good enough for any of us. And asking God out of that to help reframe our lives so that, in fact, we can learn to live on his mercy. It's actually not dissimilar to the whole role of what's happening in terms of Alcoholics Anonymous. What's the step? I am powerless. That's the step. And it's the step that one takes away from the tyranny of self-mastery into an invitation to the mercy and grace of God. A friend of mine wrote this. He said, in this respect, Episcopalians can learn a lot from the AA and from the drunks who go there. You can't try your way in. You can only trust your way in. And that's the ball field on which we live that somehow in the midst of all of the great demands that are real and true, none of this forfeits the standards that are laid out either in Deuteronomy or in Matthew. But instead, it's the acknowledgement that if I'm even going to begin to live into what is being asked of me, I need God to break into my life in a deep and profound way, work in me, honestly, a rescue operation because it's so pervasive, it actually even affects the way I think about God. Flannery O'Connor, who's one of the most blistering realistic authors in all of Southern literature says, you know, I, I do not know God, and why? Because I'm in the way. 
meaning my perceptions about God are in the way. The formations that I've placed in my mind and heart through well-meaning Sunday school teachers and others and the like who try to say something to me about God as someone who echoes the voice of the taskmaster inside my own heart like the slave driver written large that's continuing to command me to try harder and do better. Do this and you shall live. That's the Deuteronomy quote. But the real contrast is I need God to just see me for all that I am and love me. Forgive me. Be merciful to me, and in fact, cheer me on. And that's what Jesus, in fact, does. He loves us, knowing all of who we are. His forgiveness is complete and merciful. He imparts it without measure, and he cheers us on. I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can take you out of my hand. Nothing can separate us, Paul says, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to enter into that space is a whole different way to see life and to actually bear fruit for the sake of the gospel. This is not quietism and withdrawal. It's actually a kind of inner peace that gives us the capacity to reach out and to serve and to make a difference in the lives of other people. Otherwise, even the missionary imperatives, which are all through the New Testament, become for us a list of a part of, yeah, another thing I'm not doing. The freedom of forgiveness is in fact the freedom to serve, the freedom to care and be kind and to love people in a way that you're experiencing the love of God for you. St. Augustine, in, who was trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian, ran into Ambrose of Milan, a very famous bishop at the time, and he said this, my heart warmed to him, not at first as a teacher of truth, which I'd quite despaired of finding in a church, but simply as a man who showed me kindness. And that was the gateway Augustine needed to actually be able to hear the gospel. What this works in us is what Bishop West calls a tenderness of the soul. And I'd much rather have that than this any day. So, beloved, what's the line? We just sang it. All our knowledge, sense, and sight lie in deepest darkness shrouded till thy spirit breaks our night with the beams of truth unclouded. Thus alone to God canst win us. Thou must work all good within us, casting all our cares on him because he cares for us and will never let us go. Amen.